took the worst thing that could ever happen in the history of the universe, which is the death mm-hmm. of the Son of God on a cross, and from that created the best thing that's ever happened in the universe, which is the opening of heaven to all who follow him. So if God can take the worst thing in the universe and turn it into the best thing in the universe, he can take either in this life or the life to come, he can take our circumstances and draw good from them. So- well, what's up, guys? We hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. I'm Josiah Keneally. We're your hosts. This is the Young Adults Today podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Venture. Venture is a church planting and community development nonprofit that really works with the toughest places of the world, serving war refugees, trafficked people, oppressed children, and the unreached. And through Venture Miles, you can make your miles matter by going on adventure hikes. You can go biking, running, raising funds, and also bringing forth awareness in the process. Look, Venture is something that we are both incredibly passionate about. We give to and support. And man, we're both Venture alumni of different programs and runs and we'd encourage you to check out more at www.youngadults.today slash partners imagine if you could go and talk to some of the greatest leaders all around the world and ask them one simple question what is your daily prayer life like well myself and cam doolittle and peter greer were able to do this with amazing leaders like francis chan and john mark homer john ortberg johnny erickson tata and then we expanded our search to global church leaders in six different continents whose ministry and leadership covers over a hundred different countries. And what we discovered was absolutely incredible. People around the world were being led by the Holy Spirit to have similar prayer lives, from a New York financier to someone working in a refugee camp in a war zone. Their prayer lives started looking similar and their patterns were emerging. And we took all those patterns and put them together in a book called Lead with Prayer a study in the prayer lives of extraordinary leaders around the world. There's a study that said that a supermajority of leaders are not satisfied with their prayer lives and the prayer culture where they lead. And this book, we're praying, can launch a movement of prayer amongst leaders. And this is a chance for all of us to sit at the feet of praying leaders around the world and learn how to pray as leaders. Imagine what would happen if God's leaders around the world started truly becoming people of prayer it could change everything. You're tuning into the Young Adults Today podcast where we're really fanatical about reaching young adults for Christ in our world today, training and equipping leaders to do the same. We're joined today by special guest, Lee Strobel. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I, I apologize for the uh, primitive nature of my setting here, but I moved into a new place. They're kind of downsized, and I'm still got boxes to unpack. And uh, I feel like I'm in a little corner, you know, trying to trying to say hi to you guys and all your listeners. Oh, well, thank you for saying yes. Exactly. We're so sure. grateful. It's going to be a fun conversation. We're going to talk about Lee's newest book, "Is God Real?" So, if you know a young adult, maybe a college mm-hmm. student who's wrestling with their faith. Maybe they're skeptical or just curious, asking questions. Here's the deal. A doubt isn't a deal breaker. Wrestling isn't wrong. And asking God questions or asking questions about God is not a sin. And so we're going to lean into Lee's knowledge Mm -hmm. and his expertise. Just a little bit about our guest. Lee Strobel is a former award-winning legal editor, journalist of the uh, Chicago Tribune. He's the New York Times bestselling author, 
look, his books have been turned into movies. Mm -hmm. they've, sold, they've sold millions of copies worldwide. And he's a former atheist. So some of the questions that you might have or be asking mm -hmm. or sending in to us even today, we're going to unpack those. He's got a great vantage point. And today he's the founding director of the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and ap Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. He and his wife, Leslie, have been married for more than 50 years. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. And right out of the gate, Lee, can we just pick your brain? A question that we love to ask every guest on the Young Adults Today podcast is, why do you believe mm -hmm. that reaching young adults for Christ and young adult ministry is so vital in today's day and age? Well, you know, people are making uh, important life decisions at um, these ages. Um, you think about the number of um, decisions that determine the direction of life that we make when we're teenagers and we're young adults and we're uh, launching out into the world and making um, choices in terms of marriage and career and so forth. Uh, and these are times when people are asking existential questions about existence, about God, about spirituality, about uh, personal growth and so forth. So, you know, statistics show that uh, most people who become Christians do so um, at a rather young age, before the age of 18. Um, I was much older when I did it because I'm kind of hard-headed, but um, uh, I, I think the, those formulative years when people are uh, making these critical life choices is really the perfect time to investigate these monumental questions about, is God real? And if that's true. If he is, what does that mean for me? That's so good. That's so exactly where a lot of society is, right? Asking all those questions yeah. and trying to understand what's next. And Josiah says it perfectly he said, Hey, when you're in college, you're like not even just surrounding yourself for the next four years of decisions and relationships and direction, but it's a 40 and beyond yeah. of those formative years of whether you believe or don't believe and just all the questions of life, where are you going to go? What are you going to be when you grow up? And I'm sure you experienced the same thing, Lee, when you were a young adult and you kind of already alluded to a little later on in life, you came to Christ. Um, but can you just give us a little recap of your story and your journey and where you're at today? Yeah, I was an atheist um, for much of my early life. My background's in journalism and law. So I tend to be a very rational person and, and evidence-oriented individual. Um my wife was um, who we met at age 14. We met when we were young. We got married young. I was 20. She was 19. And um, she, I, I would say, uh, was sort of um, an agnostic, uh, didn't have any of the answers and couldn't quite put together the puzzle pieces of faith. Um, and she ended up meeting a woman who was a Christian, uh, a nurse. They became best friends. Uh, this woman brought Leslie to church. She asked questions. She checked things out. And then she came to me and gave me the worst news an atheist husband could get. She said, I decided to become a Christian. And uh, my first reaction was divorce. I was going to walk out. Um, but then I thought maybe I could rescue her from this cult that she's gotten involved in. And so I thought if I could just disprove the resurrection of Jesus, because even I, as an atheist, recognize that the resurrection is a linchpin, the, the, the foundation of the faith. If I could disprove that, then certainly I could liberate her from this cult that she's gotten involved in. And uh, so I decided to take my journalism training and legal training and systematically investigate. Is there any credibility to the resurrection or, or any other uh, aspect of the existence of God? And I, and I spent about two years of my life doing that. 
until uh, I came to the conclusion uh, after this investigation that in light of the um, um, avalanche of evidence that points so powerfully toward the truth of Christianity, it would take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. In other words, the scales just kind of went like this. And, and uh, that's when I realized this is true. And uh, I prayed a prayer of repentance and faith, received this free gift of God's grace and uh, became a follower of Jesus. Um, and my life, like my wife's life, began to change. My values, my character, my morality, my attitudes, and my philosophy, uh, my, my marriage. I mean, all these things over time uh, began to change for the good. And uh, ultimately, I ended up leaving my career, uh, took a 60% pay cut and uh, joined the staff of a church so I could spend the best hours of my day talking to people about the reality of, of God, that God is real and that he can change our lives and our eternities. Lee, your story is a source of inspiration mm -hmm. for me. I'm reminded of Saul. He was out to disassemble, dismantle the way of following Jesus. And he had this Damascus Road experience where he became Paul and mm -hmm. God used him remarkably. It, it was this passion and this zeal to formerly kill Christians to then he, he had this wake up to the reality of the mm -hmm. gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded of even C.S. Lewis more recently. Mm -hmm. He was uh, on record as an atheist. And then he yeah. investigated deeply and asked these questions that I think sometimes we fear asking questions, but look, Jesus was a rabbi and rabbi yeah. asked sometimes more questions than they answered. And he just wasn't afraid. And, um, that invitation think, is to the listener today. Yeah. That, I think it's a great observation that, you know, when people do pursue answers, when they do ask questions, when they do investigate, when they do do their due diligence, so to speak, in trying to determine what is true and what's not, um, often that you see them trying, uh, you know, going down this journey that ends up in them surrendering to Jesus. Um, you know, I can I can name many. In fact, in my book, um, I, I bullet point a bunch of people who are just in my sphere of friends who uh, have been <laughs> atheists who become Christian. I think of Jay Warner Wallace, the former cold case homicide investigator, um, uh, who became a believer because he uses detective skills to investigate the reality of the Gospels. Um, I mean, I, I cite uh, Holly Ordway. Holly was a PhD in literature and um, her fencing instructor, she was a fencer, her fencing instructor was a Christian and she began to ask tough questions and ended up becoming a believer. And Mary Jo Sharp, who was a, um, a skeptic, uh, an atheist who became a believer after she investigated the reliability of scripture. I mean, there's so many examples of this. Um, and that's why I agree with you so much. It, it, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. It's a good thing to ask questions. It's a good thing to have doubts. You know, I doubted my atheism and I'm glad I did because it took me to what I consider to be a, a, a true worldview of uh, uh, Christianity. It's really incredible. And mm -hmm. I remember our paths in real life. We've been Twitter buddies for a while, Lee, but um, our paths about a year, year and a half ago crossed at an event where we both were speaking in Kansas City and you shared yeah. on E.L. Moody. Can mm -hmm. you just go there for a minute? His story is fascinating. Can you tell the listener today about just the impact in America that D.L. Moody had with the gospel? Yeah, D.L. Moody was an interesting guy. He was a shoe salesman. 
And um, um, his goal in life was to accumulate $100,000, which back in the 1800s, that is a lot of money. And that was his goal. And he was relentless in pursuing that goal um, until he became a Christian. And when he saw um, uh, his friend come to him, who was a teacher at a Sunday school class of young people, and um, um, he was dying, this, this teacher. And he said, I, I, I can't die with none of my students having come to faith and, and knowing I'll see them for eternity. And D.L. Moody said, well, let's, let's talk to him. So one by one, they went and visited these students. And one by one, they came to faith. And it changed D.L. Moody's life uh, to see the transformation in these young people. And uh, he gave his life to uh, proclaiming the gospel, to sharing Jesus with others. Um, and yet he never took uh, credit for it. You know, um, once when he was uh, older, uh, a man came up to him and, he, and said to him how, how great it is to use the man, uh, to meet the man who God used to lead so many people to faith. And D.L. Moody said, well, how right you are to say the man that God used. And he bent down and picked up some, some dirt from the ground. He let it sift through his fingers. And he said, because there's nothing more than this to D.L. Moody, except as God uses him. And so he mm -hmm. was committed to God, opening his life to God, said, God, use me as you will. And, uh, and God did in extraordinary ways. You know, when he, at one point, he was given a million dollars. Um, this is around the turn of the century, I think, about a million dollars. And what did he do with that? Did he go buy a mansion? No, he started a Christian publishing company uh, that exists to this day, Moody Publishers. And of course, Moody Radio and so forth continues to this day. He invested in the kingdom of God. And um, so I, I'm a, I love studying history. I love reading about some of these earlier Christians who whose faith was mm -hmm. so inspiring to me and whose commitment to truth was so pro uh, profound. Oh, I absolutely love that. One of our themes that we've kind of picked up after one of our coaches has passed on and celebrated his life Um in January at age, I think it was in his early seventies, but really realizing that we want to be people and leaders who live and leave a legacy that's going to outlast us. That's going to outlive yeah. us. And it's going to have positive repercussions in the kingdom of God yeah. and really building God's kingdom and not our own. And sometimes I think as leaders, like we think about the big picture, which is great. And sometimes we don't know how to answer the smaller questions or we don't have the answers. So we pretend we do sometimes, right? Or we can say the other thing, which we always say is like, let's just, let's discover this together. We work with a lot of young adults, like why does X, Y, and Z happen? And I think one of the questions when it comes to faith being challenged, whether you're a believer or non-believer, maybe you're a believer and you can't get pregnant or you lost a baby and it's so painful. You're wondering, does God really exist? And your faith is challenged and your relationship with Jesus is challenged. And the number one objective to God is if he's real, like, why is there suffering in the world? Like that seems to be a number one question. Like how could a God of love have X, Y, and Z happen? What is he doing? Like, I thought he's a God of love. Well, we also know he's a God of wrath, too, if you look at the Old Testament, right, when the historically speaking. So how do we respond to that question when maybe a believer or a non-believer is asking, how does a God allow bad things to happen or allow suffering to happen? Can you speak into that, Lee? Yeah, I mean, that is the number one question. You're absolutely right. In fact, I did a national survey a few years ago where I asked people, if you could ask God only one question and you knew he'd give you an answer right now, what would you ask him? And by a significant margin, this is the number one question. If God is real, why is there suffering? 
And so in my new book, Is God Real? I not only build the case from science and history and philosophy for the existence of the God of the Bible, but I also look at uh, this question, uh, the biggest objection, if God is real, why is there suffering? Um, now, uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the temptation is to give a 25 cent answer to a million dollar question. And uh, so I don't want to do that. So let me go into a little bit of depth in the book. I go through, you know, a whole chapter on this. But um, uh, I think it's important to always remember that uh, even though this is a significant and heartfelt objection, um, we still have about 20 lines of evidence that point in the direction of Christianity being true. And th th this doesn't negate that. And so it doesn't destroy all this other evidence. So it's important to keep that in mind. Uh, and it's important to keep in mind, this is not just an intellectual question. This is a personal question. Um, yes. My wife, uh, suffers from a neuromuscular condition that has her in pain every single day. Um, she's been in pain every day for 20 years. She'll be in pain every day until she dies, unless God intervenes and does a miracle. Um, and uh, and so this is a very real question for us as, as a couple. Um, how do we how do we deal with um, the reality of pain in our lives? And I think there's a few things we want to say. The first thing is that God is not the creator of evil and suffering. Um, so where did it come from? Well, God has existed from eternity past in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in this relationship of perfect love. So when God decided to create humankind, he wanted us to be able to love because love is the greatest value in the universe. And so in order to uh, uh, enable us to love, he had to give us free will, the ability to choose whether to love or not to love, because love always involves a choice. Um, you know, I, I when my daughter, Allison, was little, um, this is way, way back when, uh, they had a, a doll that was called Chatty Cathy. And uh, you pull the string on the back of this doll and let it go, and it would talk to you. Uh, so she'd pull the string and the doll would say, I love you, <laughs> which that was about the quality of it back then. Right. But, this, <laughs> but did that doll love my daughter? No, of course not. It, it, it was programmed to say that. It had to say that love involves a choice. And so we have a choice. We can take our hand and we can hold a gun and kill someone or we can take our hand and feed a hungry person. But it's a little right. disingenuous to take our hand and kill someone and then to say, well, why does God allow pain and suffering? You know, we're the problem. We've opened the door to um, pain and suffering entering into the world. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I think is important is it's even though suffering is not good, God can use it to accomplish good. And we've wow. seen this through history. We've seen this in our lives. God uses it to draw people to faith. He uses it to sharpen our character. He uses us to uh, uses it to lovingly discipline us when we're going off the wrong direction in life to save us from consequences that would be devastating. And sometimes he'll allow some pain to exist so that um, we go back on on track. Um, in fact, Romans eight twenty eight says to every follower of Jesus that if we follow him, he will cause good to emerge from the difficult yeah. times that we experience. And um, sometimes I think we think, oh, yeah, 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 but God doesn't know what I'm going through. And yet God took the worst thing that could ever happen in the history of the universe, which is the death mm -hmm. of the Son of God on a cross. And from that created the best thing that's ever happened in the universe, which is the opening of heaven to all who follow him. So if God can take the worst thing in the universe and turn it into the best thing in the universe, 
He can take either in this life or the life to come, he can take our circumstances and draw good from them. So, you know, there's a lot to consider on this question. Um, um, you know, the day is coming, the Bible says, when evil will be judged and suffering will perish. But so so why doesn't God you know end things now? Why doesn't he resolve all this now? Well, the Bible says he's holding back the consummation of history, the end of history, because there's still yet some people, maybe some of your listeners, who he knows are going to come to him, but they haven't done it yet. And um, right. and out of his love, he's holding back the curtain of history uh, for these remaining people to enter into his kingdom. Um, and I, I think it's important to consider that, you know, our suffering will pale in comparison to what we'll experience as followers of Jesus in the life to come. Um, yeah. Paul says this several times, and, and um, I think that's another important point as well. Um, so it, it is a profound question. It, it needs to be wrestled with and dealt with. Um, but, you know, God didn't give us an intellectual answer. He gave us Jesus. Jesus right. entered into our suffering. He suffered more than probably any of us will ever suffer. And um, he didn't have to do that. And why did he do it? Because he loves us. Uh, because he died to pay the penalty we deserve for the sins that we've mm-hmm. committed. So he could offer forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace. Um, that, Absolutely. That's an expression of the love of God. Yeah. I just think about like the weight of the guilt that we've, when we make our own decisions and we feel the weight of guilt or anxiety with the guilt or the repercussions of whatever our physical frame could never withstand from beginning to end every sin on us, on our human form. Right. So just thinking of like Jesus is that supernatural intervention on our behalf when it comes to that. And Susie Larson says this. she's an author here in Minnesota. And she says something along these lines. She says, heaven is the worst place. Like earth, earth is the, is the worst. Now I'm going to get it wrong. You say it. Earth is the worst place. Like for a believer in Jesus, this is as bad as it gets. This is as bad as it gets. Yes. But for, for the person who is far from God, this is as good as it gets. Yeah. And to really put that in perspective, like, wow, if that doesn't put a spark and a burden in our heart and our soul to do something about the people who are going to hell and have no idea. Um, I don't know. I just think that that's something I always come back to of like, wow, yeah. heaven is our home. Earth is as worse as it's going to get for us. Like we have yeah. essentially nothing to complain about. You know what I mean? In regards yeah, to right. eternity. Well, so just kind of zooming out. of like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. You think about being in the presence of God for 268,523,423 days in heaven and just getting started. <laughs> right. you know, the sufferings that we went through in this planet are going to pale in comparison, going to going to fade in our memory. And um, you're right. There was a, a line by St. Teresa of Avila who, who said that in light of heaven, um, the worst sufferings in this world will seem like one night in a mediocre hotel. <laughs> so good. It's It's powerful and deep. And Lee, how we like to kind of close the podcast episodes is we sometimes we'll open it up to the listeners and let them send in some questions. Mm -hmm. And so today we've had a number of, so we'll put five minutes on the clock and work through five questions, a little bit rapid fire. You up for that? Yeah, sure. Well, the first one comes in because so many people are ministering with college students and young adults and on college campuses. One of the things we're seeing in America is just this movement of, of believers deconstructing their faith. 
What would you say to somebody who is in that journey of deconstructing their faith today? Yeah. Um, you know, I deconstructed my atheism, which is how I ended up coming to faith. Um, uh, but, you know, deconstruction, you have to be honest about what is the motivation here? What is the motivation? Um, somebody recently said that when they've looked at deconstruction cases, there's virtually always a, a sexual dynamic to it, that uh, there's a hesitancy to come under the lordship of, of Christ and to follow a godly path in life because of uh, a disagreement about um, um, sexual ethics. Um, and, and I think to ask yourself, you know, could that be a, a dimension of why um, I, I'm doing this? Um, I think as well, um, you know, when we come to Christ, it's not on our terms, it's on his terms. And, and so I think we have to say, what are God's terms? You know, he loves me. He wants the best for me. He wants me to flourish in this world. He wants to spend eternity with me in heaven. Um, you know, what, what's not to like about that? Um, now, I think it's totally, and you mentioned this earlier, and I think it's so true. Questions are good. It's okay to have doubts as long as we um, um, pursue answers. Uh, because I believe if we pursue answers, and Hebrews tells us this, and, and Jeremiah tells us this, if we pursue answers, we're going to find them. Um, and so if we, if we try to do that in an honest way and an even-handed way, I think we will find answers that will satisfy our hearts and souls. But don't be afraid of questions. The one practical thing I would say is don't just have an amorphous sense of, eh, not so convinced about faith. Try to distill down what are the questions that are holding me up in my spiritual life. And write those down. Get them down on paper because it may, they become then much easier to pursue answers to rather than some amorphous objections that we can't quite you know, put our finger on. That's great. Okay. Question number two comes from our friend, Lorelai. And it says, before you expected or before, before you accepted Jesus, what was the one thing you had to overcome? Oh, I think my own hedonism, you know, uh, in other words, my own self um, um, concern for, for wanting, you know, what I want in this world. In other words, I looked around, I never did this consciously, but subconsciously, I looked around and I said, you know, if there is no God, if there is no heaven, if there is no hell, if there is no judgment, if there is no ultimate accountability, then the most logical way to live life would be as a hedonist, someone who just pursued pleasure. And that's what I did. And so I lived a very drunken, immoral life uh, that was focused on bringing me fleeting satisfaction. And, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, I found it to be empty. I found it to be frustrating. I found it to be a dead end, ultimately. But, um, but that was the life I was, I was living. And I had to overcome that and say, if, if the evidence is right, if Jesus is who he claimed to be, the unique son of God, then he deserves my full allegiance. He deserves uh, all that I am. And I want to follow him and his ways and his teachings as best I can with the help, help of the Holy Spirit and um, uh, become all that he wants me to be in this world and beyond. Um, but overcoming that sense of wanting personal pleasure and just pursuing my own agenda, um, that was hard. 
that was hard to say, I want to pursue God's agenda. I mean, after I came to faith and, and I felt God telling me to leave my entire career that I spent my whole life working on to earn the degrees that I did mm -hmm. to achieve yeah. um, the, the level of being the legal editor of the biggest newspaper in the in between the coasts um, and to walk away from that. And by the way, take a 60% pay cut. Um, that's not something I would have done um, um, back in my hedonistic days. <laughs> Um, but when I felt God directing me and, and leading me in that direction, it was one of the easiest decisions I ever made because I trust him. And I knew if he was leading me in that direction, that was going to be the best direction to go in. And I look back at my life and I think of the adventure that I would have missed if I had said no to God. Um, and so I, I think sometimes it's our own self-interest that's the biggest barrier, what we perceive to be our mm. own self-interest that hold us back. So powerful. The third question comes from our friend Grant Diamond. Grant is a digital missionary and streams video games and is preaching the gospel to a really unique audience. His uh, Twitch name is TTV Preacher Guy. And he asked, uh, he goes, how have the questions the apologist has to be prepared to account for changed over your lifetime, Lee? Well, they have changed. Uh, many of them are the same. Um, for instance, you mentioned the pain and suffering question. It's still the number one issue. Uh, but the kind of questions that I think we have to be prepared to deal with these days often involve the question whether God is not just real, but is he good? Um, is God good? That That's become important. Another issue that has taken um, uh, root in recent years uh, is the question of the hiddenness of God. If God is real, why does he seem so hidden? And I deal with this in my book, Is God Real as well? Um, John Steingart, the um, lead singer of Hawk Nelson, the uh, Christian mm -hmm. man who walked away yeah. from his faith. And the number one reason was because he felt God was too hidden. And uh, this is becoming a, a major issue. And, and mm -hmm. that's why I, I devote a chapter in my book to try to respond to that. I think, um, you know, maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, Often it was the historical questions that people were concerned about. Did Jesus live? Did he claim to be the son of God? Was he resurrected and so forth? Uh, and I think they're still very important. Having said that, though, I think cultural apologetics is ever more important. Um, you know, the intersection of um, faith and sexual ethics, for instance, that I mentioned earlier, uh, is becoming important. And so when we started our center at Colorado Christian University on apologetics and evangelism, one of the tracks that we have is cultural apologetics uh, for apologists to understand what do we need to know about issues like abortion or gay marriage or whatever. And um, so we have a lot of young people going through those courses, which are, by the way, fully online and fully accredited. Um, uh, and we have a master's degree that you can get undergraduate degrees, but th there's a whole track on cultural apologetics. I think that's important. I'll mention one other thing, because I think it, it may be practical for people. Um, you know, years ago, when I would meet someone who was an atheist or a skeptic, I would ask him this question. If you could ask God any one question and you knew he'd give you an answer right now, what would you ask him? And that forced them to give, uh, kind of get to the bottom line of what was holding them up in their spiritual journey. But I, I don't stop there anymore. Um, I've changed my approach. My approach now is to say, um, if you could ask God any one question and you knew he'd give you an answer, 
what would you ask them? And then they, they, they respond to that. And then my response is not to give an answer to what they just asked, but to ask another question. And the question is, oh, wow, of all the potential questions in the universe, why did you ask that question? How oh, this gets beneath the it gets to the motivation, it gets to the heart, it gets to the felt need, it gets to it deeper to say, why is this the question that's holding me up in my spiritual journey? And so, um, you know, for instance, somebody might say, you know, what's the one question I wish God would answer is why is there so much suffering in the world if God is real? Well, instead of then giving a five point sermon on why God allows suffering, I would ask, well, why did you ask that question? And often the response is, because we just lost a child at childbirth. And I want to know where was God in that? Or my wife mm -hmm. was just diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, where is God in that? And, and now you begin to realize this is not just an intellectual exercise for this person. They're hurting. They need you not to just to give an answer, but to be Jesus to them, to put your right. arm around their shoulder and to pray with them and to encourage them and to weep with them and to be with them in the midst of their suffering as Jesus would. And so um, this has changed the way that I do apologetics. I've tried to get at the, the real reasons, you know, um, so many people who don't even realize it, um, their aversion to believing in a heavenly father is because their earthly father has hurt them or abandoned them or abused them in some way or let them down. And um, uh, sometimes that's the issue that needs to be addressed is the, the wound that their father left in them that makes them not wanting to know about a heavenly father because they think the heavenly father is going to be worse than the earthly father. Um, mm -hmm. So I think digging beneath the obvious and you do that by asking questions and having a legitimate love and concern uh, for the person you're talking to. That's such a wonderful approach to just be Jesus in that moment as much as we can and just yeah. help them discover what is in them that's causing the hurt or whatever to come out sideways. And even for the believer, we can definitely experience that. Um, so yeah. question number four, if you could just, um, if you could ask Josiah and I any question, what would you ask us today? This is the curveball of the episode. It keeps us on our toes. We never know what's coming. Well, yeah, well, I'm sorry. I missed it. Yeah, give me it again. Oh, if you could ask Josiah and myself any question, oh. what would you ask us? You know what? I Here's what I would love to ask. I would love to sit down with you and and listen to you about what you have learned through the years of reaching young people with the gospel. Uh, you know, you read the statistics and you see that twice as many people in Generation Z call themselves atheists as uh, the overall Christian, uh, the overall population in the United States. Um, that they're supposedly the first generation that's post-Christian that is comfortable with atheism and so forth. And, and, um, uh, and yet you look at the other statistics and you see that nearly half of them um, um, are, are concerned about finding the meaning of life and, and the purpose of life. And they're asking deep questions. And so I would want to learn from you as an apologist, as someone who cares about people and want to see people come into the kingdom of God. I would love to learn what you have learned uh, in, in reaching young people. I, I, my heart breaks when I see the statistics about the levels of anxiety and the levels of depression among young people. Uh, it's it's staggering that 25 percent of, of young women have actually worked on developing a suicide plan. I mean, it's it's it, you know, they need Jesus and they don't know it. 
And so what I would like to do is sit down with you and say, what did you, what have you learned that I can then learn from and be better equipped to uh, share Jesus um, with people of all generations? Well, you want to share each, one thing? Yeah. Can we each share one thing in 30 seconds? Hmm. Is that cool? What's that? Can we each share one thing that we've learned yeah. recently? Yeah. So I'll go first. Mine is yeah. um, something similar that you talked about the question beneath the question. Mm. And what I've realized is like, let's just take depression or anxiety or all of mental health and to recognize there is a reality to this statistic. It's not just a number, it's a name and it's a story. So yeah. then hold up. What would Jesus approach to somebody who is dealing with deep depression, with mm -hmm. anxiety that's crippling, with just mental health challenges or dealing with suicidal thoughts, I think he would love them and share hope with them and he'd yeah. lift their head. And so I think that for me, what I've learned is there are some very deep needs and deep wounds in this generation. And I think if we can have an approach of the church to minister to felt needs and to say like, yeah. you know what, a group of us is going to go on a hope run. A group of us is just going to show up and serve. And I think that when, when we um, take action towards real needs, our friend mm -hmm. Hannah says it this way. She says, there's a wrong that God has placed you on earth to make right. And I think that the deepest desire that we see among college students or Gen Z or even the alpha generation is like, you tell them about a problem and they're like, let's fix it today. Mm -hmm. We might not fix it for every single person in humanity, but let's show up and meet the need of one person. Right. And I love that. That gives me so much hope is that there's a really short uh, like wick of the candle between idea and implementation between wow. problem and action like gen z it's like dynamite like let's go yeah that's good that, i think that's a great what answer. i've learned oh sorry i think what i've learned is they want community they want authenticity and they want a hands-on approach not that you need to hold their hand in anything but they need to be equipped and one of our friends on social media had posted this and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so real. Why have we removed the element of connection, of prayer, of coming alongside, of putting a stake in the ground saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. And here's what I'm getting at. We used to say, come to the altars. If you want Jesus, physically get out of your seats, come to the altar. There's a prayer team that's going to respond with you. We're going to pray this prayer together. You are declaring that Jesus Christ is going to take reins in your life and he's now in the driver's seat. Then we switched over to on the count of three with everybody's eyes closed, raise your hand. One, two, three. Okay. Everybody raise your hand. Open your eyes. Look at me. You want Jesus. And now it's, Hey, get out your phones, scan this QR code. We might get you a Bible start in the book of John. Okay. So what we've done is went from a scanning the QR code, leaning more into, which is not wrong. The, the social media aspect, I mean, phone, which is a great tool, but then we've eliminated like the physical getting up choosing to go for it. That's scary. But the Holy Spirit prompts, gets up. Someone's going to pray with me, for me, over me, turn around and look at all these people cheering that we just said yes to Jesus and the angels in heaven are cheering too. So I think what we've realized is every single person that we've come across wants a personal pastor. And even if they don't go to our church, even if they're not even our people, but they come through our door for a Bible study for a season, they're saying, can I call you when poop hits the fan? Can I call you when my boyfriend breaks up with me? Oh my gosh, this is what's going on. So I think even just eliminating the 
the social interactions of connection, of holding hands during prayer, laying on of hands, whatever, um, even just through a simple saying yes to Jesus that has significantly shifted and changes changed. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong. When they said that, when I was watching it, I was like, whoa, I was in the area of raise your hand if you want Jesus, which isn't wrong. But I'm like, wow, if we physically had to get up, we'd maybe take it more seriously and get connected and plugged in to the church, to a community and to Christ a little more effectively. So that evangelistic, the apostleship, the um, um, uh, equipping can truly happen because there's a tangible thing they had to do, not to receive it, but to declare it in front of others. So that's great. That's, that's a great insight. And it, it dovetails well with what we were uh, teaching at our uh, university, which is um, uh, one of the uh, most effective evangelism techniques that I've seen among young people are what we call uh, spiritual discovery groups, where we have a small group of half a dozen non-believers who meet with a Christian couple or two Christians over a period of time. And they, they ask questions. They, they, and it's not that you sit and you're the Bible answer man. You just give answers. It's you're on a journey together and you uh, develop a friendship and a relationship and so forth. And we found we had 1100 people, most of them young in these groups in Chicago. And we tracked them over a period of years and found that 80% of them who um, joined a group ended up becoming Christians. Um, and the reason is people want community, as you say, they, they want a relationship. They, they, and uh, um, uh, they're, they're doing this as a, as a personal quest in community. Um, yeah. And I think there's something powerful to that. Well, we're going to close with Lee Strobel, our, our gracious guest today. So grateful for the insights you shared. And I just want to give two practical tools. You've talked about both of them, Lee, but I just want to drive it home for the listener, for the viewer who's maybe got more questions. I would say first practical next step, pick up a copy, go through it with your small group of Is God Real? This is Lee's brand new book. He's going to tackle some of the toughest toughest topics that are relevant questions yeah. that this generation is asking. And you also had talked about the Center um, for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. And maybe you're a leader, maybe you're a pastor listening. I think one of the things that you can commit to is being a lifelong learner. There right. is seminars, there is online classes, there's even degrees that you might um, walk away from this conversation committed to growing, mm -hmm. committed to asking questions, committed to learning. But our final question for you, Lee, is what is your hope for the person listening to this podcast today or as they pick up mm -hmm. the book of Is God Real? What's your hope for the listener and the learner today? I hope they'll put it into action. You know, that's why our center is called uh, the Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics. We're not trying to train ivory tower academics. We're trying to train people to do what you guys are doing, to do podcasts, to do radio shows, to write books, to uh, do blogs, to um, do speaking, to share over a backyard fence with a neighbor, just to put it into action. And um, so, you know, my encouragement is uh, all that you learn in this podcast, this episode and future ones and so forth. Um, put it into action. Um, you know, use it in your life to reach people. Um I've only got a limited amount of time in this world. And uh, young people, you know, are still hungry. I, I think of Shane Pruitt, who's a friend of mine who is a, a uh, travels the country and speaks to young people. He says, I've seen uh, more young people come to faith in Christ 
uh, in the last three years than in the previous 18 years combined. So God is doing something with young people and let's be part of that. And and let's say, how can we improve our um, ability to share Jesus and to defend the faith in a practical way? So if people want to check out our center, it's strobelcenter.com. They can get all kinds of information there. One thing I like about our center is you don't have to get a degree if you don't want. We have these certificate courses where you take them at your own pace and um, it's all online. And you could take a course on why does God allow suffering? You can take a course on the resurrection or on Islam or, uh, you know, 30 or 40 other topics. And uh, they're inexpensive. uh, They're practical. You can put them to use. And, um, you know, I think that's a great adventure of the Christian faith. It's incredible. I remember ministering for five years on a college campus and I felt overwhelmed walking into some of these one-on-one meetings. The first few times I got some really hard questions that maybe my Bible college or seminary degrees didn't prepare me for, but I did what you said. I wrote down the top. Anytime I'd get a question, like more Mm -hmm. than a few times, I'd write it down. I'd do, I'd read some books. I'd take a course on it. I'd commit to being a lifelong learner and be honest to say, I don't have all the answers, but let's journey together. We'll, we'll discover more. We'll grow. We'll learn together. And I think that this is so look, higher education is changing forever. And this is one of the cutting edge things that you can do as a leader is to commit to being a lifelong learner. And Lee, as we close, would you just pray over Micah and I, over young adults today Mm. and the community of young adult ministry leaders? I just sense in my heart a burden, a fire, a passion, a belief for revival that the time is now. We sense an urgency, Lee, like you mentioned, we don't know how much time we have, but with what limited time God is gracious to give us, we want to make much of him. We want to see hell emptied, heaven filled. Can you pray with us today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's pray. Mm-hmm. Father, uh, it is so true that, um, you know, you could have written in the sky the gospel, and yet you choose to use people like us uh, because we get to share in this great adventure of telling mm-hmm. people the best news on the planet. Uh, and so I pray for Josiah and, and, and Micah as you bless their ministry, as you open doors of opportunity and influence to help them um, encourage and equip uh, uh, pastors, youth leaders, everyday Christians to um, share in a more effective way with young people who, who have a different perspective uh, as we see through the generations. And so we pray for revival. We pray for uh, a, uh, a work of your Holy Spirit that we will stand back from and say only God could have accomplished this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think of D.L. Moody's words and say that apart from you, uh, we're nothing. And yet with you, uh, you invite us to be on this journey of discovery, this journey of influence, this journey of investigation, this journey of sharing and defending. And it's a great adventure. It's, it's a great adventure of the Christian life. And I pray that we won't miss it. We can't do this in heaven. This is our one opportunity in this world to share the good news with others. And so we pray for a blessing on this ministry, a blessing on each person who's watching and listening. And... Uh, and we thank you that you've included us in your um, uh, process of reaching the world with your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I'm fired up. Lee Strobel, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much, Lee. Thanks, guys. Great to be with you. Sure appreciate you and all you're doing. Likewise. One more time. This is the Young Adults Today mm-hmm. podcast. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone you know. Plug me in, I'm all wired up right now. Plug me in, I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.